I'm Steve Fisher. Rachel Fulginetti might not be a name you know, nor might her face ring any bells, but chances are you've heard her speak, especially if you're a fan of audiobooks, for which she has narrated many. It's a very specialized art form, and she's here to talk about it on Life Slices. Welcome, Rachel Fulginetti, to Life Slices. Give us a brief background of who you are. I am Rachel Fulginetti. Fulginetti, we discussed the, uh, the uh, we're unsure about that last name. Still after 16 years of marriage, I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, I am from New Paltz, New York, which is in the Hudson Valley. Grew up there on an apple farm. Went to college in New Hampshire, University of New Hampshire. Theater major. Moved to New York City after college and did the acting thing for 10 years in New York City. Did tons and tons of theater, independent films, student films, a lot of sketch comedy, performance art. Moved out here a couple of years after 9-11. And it's like when I moved out to L.A., my whole world opened up. I met my the guy who would end up being my husband with the funny last name 30 days after I moved here. And I was still pursuing acting and did that for a couple of years, felt like I was starting all over again, wasn't working, but I started doing a radio show because I I wanted to play my own music. My husband and I also do music. And so I was like, I'm just going to start like my own show and play my own music. So I was doing that and I started realizing, you know, this is, I feel so alive, like behind the mic, maybe I could make money doing this. Because I had always had to have like a waitressing job or, you know, bartending, whatever. And so sure enough, I started to look into it. I took classes. I decided to approach it differently than my acting career. So I did for a full year. All I did was classes. I took every class. I really worked at it. And then when I started, I worked like three jobs to make it happen. And every cent that I made in voiceover, I started working immediately, which was an amazing yes from the universe. And every cent I made, I put right back into my career. And two years later, I was doing voiceover full-time and, and, and audiobooks. So I, I did both at the same time. I looked into voiceover and audiobooks and started doing them both around the same time. That's pretty amazing. That, that is not the, the kind of book you want to write for newbies in the business. <laughs> yeah. You want to give them that false sense of security that, ah, it's a piece of cake. Just move to LA and within a few months you'll be working. Well, I mean, it was a few years. And also I, I had slugged it out for 10 years before that doing acting and come to find out like, you know, voiceover is, it's acting with just minus all the stuff that you can't control, like what you look like, how old you are, what your weight is, what your hair is looking like that day. Like all the stuff that drove me crazy about acting. I I get to take that out of the equation and it's just me and my creativity. So I, I just loved it. So it's like, it happened really quickly for me, but also it didn't because I had been working on my craft for that long. So you don't miss the actual physical acting. You're okay with just yes, acting with I your really voice. Don't. I really I like not having to like worry about that stuff. And I, I do miss theater sometimes. Like sometimes I think oh, I'd, I'd love to go back to theater at some point because I, I just love the interchange between the, you know, the audience and, and the actor, but I don't really miss it. I don't miss it as a career. 
What kind of training do you have to have to be a voice actor? What, how does that differ from regular acting training? There's technique that comes into play, right? So you have to know not only how to act, which is the primary thing, but then you also have to know how to use the mic. You have to know, um, you know, you have to get comfortable with your voice on the mic. You have to get comfortable knowing about proximity and knowing about um, volume. You know, you don't want to, everyone starts out when they start out, they're screaming on the mic. And it's like, no, 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 no. The mic is really sensitive. You don't have to talk that loud. So I think there's a lot of technique that comes in and every genre of voiceover is really different. So like commercial technique is very different from promo technique is different from e-learning and that kind of thing. So there's, there's that too. And then there's the audiobook side of things, which is another completely different animal, like uh, really, really different from any voiceover. So We're going to get into that in a minute yeah. because that's what I want the bulk of this to be about. When you started with the voiceover work, mm-hmm. what is a voiceover audition like? So the voiceover voiceover auditions are usually really quick. You don't get a lot of time with the copy. We call it copy. Basically, it, it depends on where you're getting your auditions from. So like I get my auditions from an agent. So they just send what they think I'm right for. And they, they know me at this point. They know my voice print and what I'm capable of. Basically, I read it a couple times, try a few things, and I kind of like, that's it. I don't spend too much time on it. When I was newer, I spent a lot of time on it. But you can really drive yourself crazy, especially now that we're recording ourselves. You don't want to sit there and, and, and be recording 15 takes and then trying to pick them out. It's usually your best take is going to be like your first or second take, maybe your third take. And I feel like after that, it's a little bit diminishing returns. What are some some of your voiceovers and commercials that people might know you for without necessarily knowing you? So much that it's hard to um, it's hard to say. I've done Nissan, I've done Lexus, I've done Kia. So I've done like a lot of car things. I've done, oh, geez. I mean, it's hard to even say. I used to do a grocery thing, which was like a whole bunch of different grocery stores, Albertsons and Super Stop and Shop and like all that stuff. I was the first female voice for eHarmony. So they had never, oddly enough, they had never used a female voice in their entire thing until me. And so I did eHarmony for a while. Recently, I'm I'm actually uh, a voice double for Brie Larson for her Nissan stuff, which is interesting. So a little like thing that you would never think about where basically they don't want to have to pay her the big bucks to work on the script. So they hire me to sort of massage the script and work on it and present it to the client. And then once they have it locked, then they give it to Brie and then Brie does it and gets paid what she gets paid. <laughs> I guess right. that's paid. not right. <laughs> <laughs> but where's, it's, where's the union? <laughs> so that, but like lots of banks I've done, um, Citibank, I've done CVS. I've done like all kinds of products and services, all kinds of tech stuff, software, and, uh, a lot of like McDonald's, Burger King, blah, blah, blah. So I just want to make it clear when you do these, you yeah. don't get any special discounts or freebies. No. It's, Can you it's believe it? a job. It? They yeah, pay you they, and go away. You do not get those kind of perks. I, I have always wished that that would happen, but I, it, so far for me, it's been pretty elusive. 
<laughs> if they did that, then you could pick and choose. I, I'm only going to do voiceover for Tesla. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, let's talk about audiobooks because that's a very niche area. Sure. And how does how did you get into doing audiobooks? Sure. So around the same time that I decided I want to look into voiceover, I also thought, well, how else could I make money with my voice? And I thought, I love to read. I've always been a book person my whole life. Um, thanks, mom. Was brought up like a crazy reader. So I, I took Pat Fraley's Billion Dollar Read Weekend, which is Pat Fraley is like the grandfather of audiobooks. And you ask anybody out here in LA and they've stu- if they're in audiobooks, they've studied with Pat at some time. He's, he's awesome. And so I took his class and it was a weekend long intensive. And within that class, I met Amy Rubinate, who became one of my best friends. Um, she's also now a producer and a director and um, owner of Mosaic Audio. So uh, we became fast friends. And then two other girls in the, in the group, we became friends with, and we formed a little collective and the four of us would send samples together and practice, practice, practice. And go to the audio publishers conference every year in in New York city and meet publishers. And it's, you really have to establish relationships. It's a very, very relationship based thing. And it's a big job. They, they will not just give a book to anyone because it's, they're entrusting you with something really, it's a massive undertaking, right? Every book. So you have to get to know them and they have to know you and they have to trust you. So it's a, it was more of a slow burn for me, the audiobooks, than the voiceover. Do you like to read the book first? How, how does that work? Do they say, we want you to do it, but we know you have to approve the book? It, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing because there's no time to do that. There's just no way that I could read an entire book before accepting a job or not. So, But what they do do is you can look it up. You can kind of look up reviews. You can oftentimes, nowadays, it's funny, when I started, they didn't really audition. They just gave you, they gave you jobs. They said, oh, I have something that you would be right for. Now, the authors are really wanting approval a lot of times, which is understandable. So if I'm doing an audition, I'm getting a sense of the book by reading. Um, Usually it's a five to 15 minute excerpt, depending on the audition. So I can tell that way. And, you know, but you kind of have to just, you have to go by what's, what's out there, what the author is saying about the book and you make your decision and you hope, <laughs> you hope it's a good one. <laughs> so when you get the job, do you have the time to read the book and how many times do you have to go through it to get familiar with it? Sure. So once you get the job, you have to read the book before you record it because, you really need to know for a bunch of different reasons. First of all, you've got to prep the book, which means you've got to read through it. And my process is that I go through it and I use a, a software program called I Annotate. And I annotate the script with anything, any words that I don't know how to pronounce because I'm going to be saying all of this. So like you've got to know how to pronounce these these words. And then sometimes it's made up things like names that the author is made up. So then you have to like kick it to the publisher and say, Hey, this is usually like, this is a fantasy world. Like how am I supposed to pronounce these names? And hopefully they can get in touch with the author and get an answer back. So for that reason, it's really important. Pronunciations are important. And also you want to make sure that like, you don't get to page 300 and all of a sudden it says like, 
he said in his Swedish accent, <laughs> like, oh my God, I've been doing this guy with like no accent the whole time, you know, or whatever. So like, you really, you need to know. So basically that's my process is that I go through it once. I annotate everything I don't know or things I want to remember or make note of. This person has an accent. This person is 95 years old. So I'm going to need to like do that with my voice. And then basically once you do all the research as Hillary Huber, a wonderful narrator and one of our guest teachers in the Pat Fraley class said long ago, it's a train and you just get on that train and you go. Once you, once you're recording, you just get on that train and and you just go because you don't have time. It's not the kind of thing where like, you know, you can stop and be like, wait, maybe I should try that line a different way. And let me see. It's really like you just, you have to be a facile reader. You have to be a good reader and you just get on the train and you go. And obviously you're going to make mistakes here and there. And those we pick up along the way with something called a punch and roll, which is Basically, it goes back a few seconds and I hear my headphones, I hear my earphones, like what I just said. And then I I complete the sentence to make it, to take out the mistake, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, when you are recording, are you recording alone in your home studio or are you in an actual studio with a director and a producer? It, It really depends on the project. More often than not these days, things are from home studio, but because I have two small children at this point, I do most of my stuff with an engineer. So either at an outside studio or with an engineer that connects on Source Connect. Source Connect is is a bridge, basically, so they can record me remotely Mm -hmm. because it takes just so much less time. If I have an engineer in terms of directors being there, that's like almost unheard of unless it's a really big ticket book or you're a star or something. It's basically our show. It's my it's basically my show. And and then, you know, the engineer is an extra set of ears to say, hey, either you made a mistake here or they might say, oh, maybe try that that last line again or something. But, you know, more often than not, it's the train that you just get on and go. So how long does it generally take to record a book? Sure. So it's typically, assuming that it's not like a really difficult book, and what I mean by difficult is like if it has tons of accents or, you know, like really like a lot of different characters that are hard to keep track of or whatever. It's a straightforward book. Typically, it's a two to one ratio with an engineer. So it would be two hours of recording for every one hour of recorded finished audio. So if it was a a 10 hour book, it would be, you know, 20 hours in the, in the studio. But if I'm recording myself, that ratio is, is much worse. It's like three to one or four to one because I, now I'm having to switch right brain, left brain, and I'm having to do it myself. And that's why I was saying like, I, I really don't, I don't have time to really do that anymore. So you have no way to judge it by the number of pages? No, you can do it by the number of words. Pages are sort of arbitrary because it depends on what the pages are, the font and all of that. But you can do it based on words. So about 9,300 words is about an hour of recording. So you can think of it that way. And it takes how long to listen to a book, generally speaking? 
Well, yeah, like a finished book would be, it's typically between eight, seven, seven and a half or eight hours and like 10 hours usually. I have never been able to get into audiobooks. I have tried and I'm not the greatest reader to begin with. So Mm -hmm. I'm always going back to say, oh, I read that, but it didn't sink in. And with an audiobook, I find that it goes in one ear and out the other. And it doesn't stick. How do you advise people on what's the best way to listen to an audiobook? I really think it depends on what type of a of a like a a learner you are like for instance I am extremely auditory so like I remember things I hear much more than visual you could show me a graph all day a graph or a chart and I'm like uh yeah it doesn't really mean anything to me but but if I hear something I remember it so for me I actually I I retain a lot when I when I listen most people multitask when they're listening, right? So, and it's one of the great things about audiobooks is like you can be reading, but you're also doing the laundry or right. taking the dog for a walk, or doing whatever you have to do. I think that it depends on the narrator. I think you have to find the right narrator. Like, I suspect that you just haven't found a narrator that that has worked for you yet. That's possible. I also have heard from people that some people like nonfiction audiobooks uh, as opposed to fiction, fiction they would prefer to read on the page. For you as the book reader, which do you prefer? Or is there a difference in how you approach it? It is a little different. I I like fiction probably better just because it's more fun. Like it's more fun to do the characters and, and all of that. But, you know, if it's a great subject or an interesting subject matter, then nonfiction can be really great. When, you, when you're when you doing stuff that's topical, I find that really interesting. I've done stuff about big tech that, that I find really scary but important. And I probably wouldn't have sat down and read this whole book, but I get to do that for my job. And, and now I know about that stuff. So yeah, I, I like them both for different reasons, really. How often does your dog get involved and your children? For, for that matter. <laughs> oh, God. Usually they don't because I have an outside studio. So I have like a, I have a studio out in my, it's a converted garage. And so I get to go out and be like, not hear the screaming children or barking dogs so much. Sometimes I hear planes because I live in Van Nuys and there are planes that go overhead and of course leaf blowers. But yeah, usually the kids and the dog don't get involved. You somewhat alluded to this earlier, but do, do audiobook narrators tend to have a fan following? Oh, yes, absolutely. 100%. I think that a lot of narrators enjoy their own font. Like, I think they pull, they absolutely pull people to buy the book. You know, Scott Brick, Julia Whalen, the. They're just awesome, awesome narrators. And, you know, I have my own favorite narrators that I will listen to anything that they do because they're just awesome. And I, I want to hear them do what they do. That's why I was saying, I think you just need to connect. You got to find the narrators that you like. And of course, it's subjective. You have to, you know, you just got to look around and find them. Have you ever had anyone recognize you out and about in public when you started talking and people go, wait, I know that voice. <laughs> no, although people, once they find out what I do, they're like, oh yeah, I thought your voice sounded familiar. Like 
I do. Yeah, like they, they kind of do. And then the other thing that's kind of funny is like I'll have friends or like my sister say, oh, my God. I hear you every, you know, you come into my house like every night, you know, I have like some commercial running or something. They'll be like, Rachel, like what, <laughs> you know. Now, most people like to record shows because they can skip past the commercials. <laughs> yes. I'm guessing in your house, you don't do that because you want to make sure you're counting every time your commercial's playing. <laughs> it's true. I also like to hear the trends. So I like to hear other people's commercials and like, a lot of times I'll hear stuff that I read on and I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like that's what they went with. And, you know, if it's a guy or something, then I'm like, okay, they went with a guy. If it's another woman that sounds like me, I'm like, oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was interviewing a noted British actor several years ago and he was known, he was in Game of Thrones and had this very deep resonous voice and he gets on the phone and it didn't sound like him. So I had to question him. I said, is that really you? Because you don't sound the same as you do on the show. And he said, that's my acting voice. Mm. Do you have an acting voice and a conversational voice? You know, it's funny that you say that because the trend now is like really, really, really like you shouldn't, you shouldn't quote unquote have that. So they, everybody wants everything to be very real and very like just you. That said depending on genre, there are little things that I can do. Like I, I like to think of it like an instrument, right? Like I can play my instrument in a lot of different ways. So it depends on what the song calls for. Hmm. Now, when you go, it, it, I don't know if any of the books you've read have been turned into movies yet, but if they have, would you watch the movie and then go, ah, I could have acted the part better? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that would be really fun, actually, to see to see that. But uh, that hasn't happened yet. No. What would you like people to know about audiobooks in general, audiobooks you do, or yourself in general that I haven't asked about? Oh, let's see. Uh, one of the main things I always love to tell people is that we try so hard to get it right, guys. So like, as far as pronunciations go, people get so mad when you pronounce things wrong. And that's stupid narrator and blah, 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 like all this stuff, like you'll see like diatribes sometimes on, on reviews. And the truth is we try so hard. We do so much research as much as we can. We don't get paid for the research. That is just our prep work that we do. And we try to get it right. And sometimes we don't get it right. And it doesn't mean that we were lazy actors or that we didn't care. It just means that sometimes like you don't get everything right. So that's, I think, one one thing. I just want that messaging out there. <laughs> we care. It's very possible that the listener is does, doesn't know how to pronounce the word. And this is true too. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I think just like, I don't, I don't know that everyone knows what goes into an audiobook and all the different people that work on it and work on it really hard. You know, it, it is really a labor of love, each audiobook. Is it difficult for you to go through and not have some opinion of the writing itself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, because I'm human. And when you get really good ones, like I've had recently really good ones, and it feels so good. And it's such a relief. And it feels 
um, fun and it feels like, oh, I would be reading this book anyway. Like, I love this book, you know. And then sometimes it's like being an actor, like sometimes you just got to take the the gig and then it's like, oh, okay. Um, and then I think I should be writing these. <laughs> I could be writing these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that for writers too, because, you know, you look at stuff, I could have written that better. And... <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Can you tell us some of the books that you have narrated? Sure. Um, let's see. So right now, I'll just start with recent because my memory is like a shot. I'm working on a book right now called The Blue Butterfly. Wait a minute. You're a lot younger than I am. I have that excuse. <laughs> <Okay>. Well, <laughs> the pandemic has been hard on all of us. <laughs> and I have a six-month-old, so I got oh. I, to work on very little sleep. Yes. Uh, Leslie Johansson Knack has written a book called The Blue Butterfly, which is really, really interesting. It is fiction, but it's about um, Marion Davies, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She yes, was a- I am. I don't know how, how many people out there. In the right. It, I really wasn't. I had heard the name before, but I didn't really know much about her. She was a great actress, actually, who has been sort of erased from from film history in a way, because she was William Randolph Hearst's mistress for years and years and years and years. And so people didn't take her really seriously because she was his mistress. And also Citizen Kane was basically based on his life and made her character, quote unquote, um, they didn't say it was her, but it was, you know, the in, in Citizen Kane, made her a drunk and like talentless and really did a lot to damage her, her reputation and her legacy. So this author is, is writing this book basically to, to give her her due because she deserves it. She was a great actress and it's really fun. It's really interesting and it's really well written. And it's interesting that it's like, it reads like an autobiography, but it is fictional. So that's kind of a fun one. So there's a really fun one. I actually really like mystery thriller and that kind of thing. So there's a book called Fool Her Once that's coming out soon. That's going to be really great. It's a, that's a mystery thriller. That's my favorite genre to do by Joanna Elm. And there was another one I did a couple months ago uh, called The Ghosts of Thorwald Place, which is sort of a paranormal thing, but it has a really interesting twist by Helen Power. And I really like that one a lot. It's it's interesting. I feel like the longer I do it, the better the books get, which is great. So I think at the beginning, when you're first doing it, you know, they're just giving you like, okay, like we need to make these into audiobooks, but it's not necessarily like a coveted title, <laughs> you know? And and as you've been doing it for longer and longer, I think you start getting better, better stuff. So how long can an actual recording session last when you do in a day? How long are you going straight sure. through on that train? Yep. It's a six hour session. So six hours with probably usually like a 45 minute lunch break and then intermittent breaks in between. So I usually take a break, like a little, like a bathroom break every like hour and a half, hour to hour and a half as needed. And what do you do to keep your voice fresh as you're recording all this reading? Sure. Yeah. I, I drink, I like to drink tea. I uh, have to stay hydrated. Sleep is important. Not eating certain foods. Like I will never have like tomato sauce at lunch because it's too acidic. 
dairy is terrible, but I don't eat dairy anyway. You know, there's just certain things you kind of get to know your own instrument. I also use a, a compression straw, which is a relatively new phenomenon in the voice world that's absolutely wonderful. So they're these little straws and you you hum through them and it brings your vocal cords together and sort of resets you. So I always have my straws with me. If I don't have one of my straws, then I can actually just use like a straw and you can blow bubbles into the straw and that kind of does the same thing. It's really amazing just getting your vocal cords back together and, and, and kind of taking out any yuckiness. I like that. I'm gonna, I might have to get that just to, to go visit family. I was at my son's house yesterday mm-hmm. and toward the end of the day, my voice, I started turning into Kermit the Frog. He <laughs> yeah. said, what happened to your voice? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> it gets tight. It does. Also, massage is really good. Like I'll spend time at night doing self-massage on myself or like I have a I have like a hand massager, like an electric one, and I'll I'll get like really carefully get into my neck area and stuff like that, and that really helps to to open things up as well. I am going to give audiobooks another try uh, <laughs> by getting one of your audiobooks and you see if you're the right voice for me. Do you ever get a chance to talk to the authors? Yeah, yeah, sometimes I do, and I love that. It's so wonderful. Is it before recording or after? Either, either or. It depends. It really depends on, um, with Joanna Elm for Fool Her Once, actually, I was able to talk to her after the recording, and she, we actually did a, an interview, and she did a blog, a beautiful, long blog post on it. And it's just fun. It's great to connect. And of course, the thing I, I also always love when I hear from my authors after they've listened to it and if they liked it, you know, I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing. Right. And they say, oh, this was awesome. And it's like, OK, thank you. That's that's the most important listener. Right. Is yeah. the person whose book it is. Well, when you talk to them beforehand, does that help you in your reading? Sometimes, you know, we don't often get a chance to talk to them beforehand, but sometimes we do. And especially if it's something you know, for instance, like a fantasy world or something like that, then it's really important or, you know, if you can talk to them to talk to them. It's, oh, I, I like the more information I have, the better, you know, the more I, I can draw off of. I used to work with one author who would always give me like who she would cast as these characters. And then I would say, oh, this is great. Okay, now I can think of this person when I'm doing the role. So that's great. Where can people find out more about you? Sure. Uh, RachelFulginetti.com is my website. So that's always a good place. It's F-U-L-G-I-N-I-T-I. And for audiobooks, you can always look me up on Audible. Rachel, thanks so much for being here and much continued success. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 